is the Raptor record. Fred Van Vliet. 16 shots, 27 points, 5 assists for Lowry. His team is up 1. Raptors trying to win their third straight. Lowry again hits the 3. Back-to-back -back triples for the 15-year pro. We are now one third of the way through the pandemic NBA season. The Raptors sit at 11 and 13. Fans are still divided on whether to go for the lower playoff sports or whether to tank. But what we do know is that there is a host of topics to talk about and to dissect the last week in Toronto Raptors history with me. I've got Varal Agisi. Varal, welcome once again. Camille, what a week it has been for this team. After your slightly premature prediction of the Raptors perhaps having to embrace the tank, I was um, very sceptical about that analysis from yourself and I think I've turned out to be proven correct. I think at the moment the Raptors are the eighth seed and I think they're uh, pretty much a surefire cert at this point to at least make the playoffs. Uh, there's no guarantee that they're going to go anywhere in the playoffs, but I think we should still be optimistic about their prospects. Yeah, and uh, we could start with any one of the games and pick something out of it. But I think what everyone wants to hear is some more Fred Van Vliet praise. Because last Wednesday against the Orlando Magic, he scored a franchise record 54 points. And ironically, Terence Ross, who held the previous record of 51, was actually on the other side. Uh, he's play he was starting for the Magic. So he broke the record on the previous holder's floor, uh, make mm -hmm. a state making a statement there. And of course, he shot 11 threes out of 14 for a time. It was thought that he would actually break the three record. But I think his legs just ran out of juice in the in the third quarter. He didn't he didn't really shoot a three after the third quarter. He scored eight in the first mm -hmm. half. But I think, yeah, he was just just unable to chase. Uh, who's who's the record holder? Can I imagine it's Steph? I want to say Clay, to be honest. Three points. Most three points in the game. I feel like it was Clay. Yeah, I'll well, I'll trust you on that. Um, but I mean, Fred Van Vliet is a special player, obviously. It was Clay. Signed, yeah, signed to a huge team. contract in the off season. One of the most important moves that was made in the off season, um, in terms of positive, positive. Uh, contract extensions uh, can he and we'll come on to Lowry later in the episode but just quickly off the bat do you think Van Vliet is the guy to lead the Raptors in their next era of trying to compete to a championship at a point guard spot you know he's was he five foot eleven six foot uh, very undersized undrafted he comes out he plays extremely well in the NBA finals uh, but maybe as a third option behind Kawhi and Siakam but now this is almost his team you know or the, well I suppose the Raptors they're built more like the, the Nuggets or the Jazz right now in terms of all, all round strength but he is leading yeah. the charge right and from the backcourt especially with Lowry set to either leave or reduce his role in the next few years so do you, do you think he has the ability to lead? Absolutely the only issue I've really had with Van Vliet in the past, you know, year and a half since it's broken out is just 
wanting to make sure he maintains a level of consistency because you probably know as well as me, Kamel, that he just has games where he'll score in single digits, say shoot one of eight from three or two of nine from three. Um, and yeah, also being shot down from the two-point range as well. So for him, it's just maintaining that level of consistency. He's shown this season that he can have these explosive 30-point-plus uh, games, which is quite frankly spectacular. And I think those are also heights Kyle Lowry never really reached for the Raptors. Even with DeRozan there, Kyle Lowry was never going you know, consecutively off for 30 games in multiple games in a row. So... Um, what he's doing is um, actually, I think it surpasses what Carl Lowry did. It's just, he just, if he ma- makes sure he's slightly more consistent, it's, I'm saying a very generic thing here, but I think it is important for him. If he feels like he's not having an efficient shooting night, maybe he takes the kind of mindset that Lowry has taken in the past, which is that he's going to contribute absolutely everywhere else. And I think that's where. Carl Lowry is such a special player because Carl has those games Marcus Gasol had for the team last year where he would score four points but we we would sing their praises come out. You know, we praise them for doing everything but put the basketball into the hoop. And so, although Fred is undersized, uh, potentially can't have the same impact as um, Lowry can have. He's only, I'd say, two or three inches shorter than Lowry. So, maybe for him he could still carry on with this role as being the primary scorer for the team being the main shooter for this team as that seems to be a strength but it's just for him to make sure that he's of course he puts in the effort but um make sure he develops those other parts of his game to um more so mirror what carl does when he's not having a great shooting night yeah no that's completely right and it was ironic because in the few games before this 54 point game He was being criticised for just chucking up terrible shots because it seemed he didn't know exactly what to do on the floor and he felt he had to carry that offensive load. But now that he is playing more like Siakam, right? So Siakam's been very sensible and it's, it's no coincidence that since he's started to take the view that you said in terms of if maybe shots aren't falling, he plays the facilitator role or he hustles extra hard on defence or he crashes the boards or he uses his other strengths. His form has gone on an upward trend ever since then. Van Vliet's Mm -hmm. also chosen to do that. Yesterday was a great example. Him and, oh, sorry, the win against the Memphis Grizzlies, 120-113. Him and Siakam in tandem, they scored 32 points each. Uh, They got 15 assists between them, uh, as well as eight rebounds and four steals. And together, they played a really good all-round role. It wasn't people chucking up shots. Uh, they shot eight and seven threes apiece because they knew mm-hmm. they were going in. But when they didn't have good shots, they were able to rely on their teammates like Boucher, like Powell, who scored 29. And it kind of buys into that Nick Nurse philosophy post-Kawhi yeah. of not forcing a shot, of always taking the extra pass. And if you're not having a hot night, you've got to do it in other areas, as you say. Mm-hmm. So um, actually, yeah, obviously that brings us very nicely onto last night's Memphis game. Uh, just another topic to talk about that. The guy who did the most damage for the Grizzlies was, of course, ex-Raptor Jonas Valanciunas. Now, the big Lithuanian, <laughs> 20 rebounds, including 10 on the offensive board. He also yeah, crazy. 27 points with a block and a steal. And he was an absolute monster. 
do you think that i mean we i only want to spend a little bit of time in this topic because we have mentioned it before but the lack of a traditional serviceable big man on the raptors roster do you think they'll come into trouble against players like him and do you think i guess apart from Embiid, i'm not sure if there's necessarily anyone to be scared of in the playoff positions but certainly in games like in these East, yeah you know Valanciunas is going to feast for example and is that just something the mm. Raptors have to accept I mean I'll just yeah, I think quickly so. before you answer Baines did play 19 minutes um, he played alright 7 points 6 rebounds Utah played 16 minutes and Boucher played 29 so obviously throwing 3 different bodies at Valanciunas no I, I think there's not much else to say there Kamel um, I think the good the really good point that you made there is in the East really Embiid is the only guy who can kind of fill that position um I think there's more big man threats in the West. So, um, obviously, with the likes of Jokic, Anthony Davis, etc. Um, we've already talked about this with Embiid before, um, about how much of a problem he caused. So, I don't think there's anything too much to add from the Raptors' perspective. But it is nice to see from, you know, Jonas Valanciunas' perspective that he is kind of starting to take a shine on this team because um, I'm not sure how long... Um, What's his name? Is it? Uh, Jaren Jackson. I'm having a blank here. Is it Jaron Jackson yeah, Jr. He, he should be back How long has he been out? Well, he's been out for right. ages. I, I I was confident. I actually drafted him in my fantasy basketball team, and he's been on the injury <laughs> list ever since. So um, it's probably why he's been back injured, soon. To be honest, Kamel. What? Probably why he's been injured, knowing how cursed you are when it comes yes, to fantasy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's nice that he's taking up. Uh, Jaron Jackson's mantle because he probably wouldn't be living in the post if Jaron if it, uh, Jaron Jackson was of course there he'd probably be out on the perimeter so yeah nice to see him filling that role I mean he shot even 11 of 12 from the three throw line so he just had an absolutely beastly game yeah and it shows maybe the Raptors strategy of just fouling those big men you know players like Yanis uh, mm-hmm. and Embiid who aren't necessarily maybe shoot 60% from the free throw line you can afford to uh, rot- carry out rotational fouls um, yeah. so yeah I mean Memphis though generally pretty average team this year they go into this uh, I believe 9 and 10 because they're well behind on games due to health and safety COVID protocols mm-hmm. um, but they look like a very middling team this year probably 11th 12th in the west so which is I think slightly surprising Kamel I had them very near the bottom I think they've kind of outperformed their expectations because they were either 9-7 or 9-6, and six, but they've just had a losing streak recently. So, Yar Moran has had an exceptional season. The West is, I think, in my opinion, it's the most stacked that it's ever been. Um, so, yeah, um, they've, they've done pretty well. Yar's had a terrific season, like I said. But I did want to talk about one thing this episode, Kamel. I did want to mention, again, we seem to be talking about it every, either every week or every uh, two weeks, about Siakam's role in the team because uh, we can look at that uh, you know the Brooklyn game where he had a very very good game um, ended up scoring 33 points in that um, this recent Grizzlies game he got 32 points but um, I still am a bit sceptical Kamel because he, it seems like he does understand okay there's no reason for me to be taking this many outside shots for me to be I should be backing up my man in the post but if you saw who was on him in that Brooklyn game, for example, Kamel, there's the likes of Loalo Cabarro, Jeff Green, and Landry Shamet, and they were getting absolutely bodied. Like, they just 
had nowhere near the required length to stop uh, him shooting over the top. And the other thing was they didn't have the strength to stop him backing up because that's something we saw against Boston is they have at least three or four defenders who maybe not who aren't as lengthy as him but are very very stout and strong defenders like the likes of um, Grant Williams Robert Williams even um, you obviously have um, Jalen Brown Marcus Smart guys who are just you know tough to move in the post and so I still have an issue with him in terms of when he does come up against teams who have those versatile defenders who can stop him in the post, his game seems to entirely shut down. And I hope it's not a fact of, you know, in the past few games, just a fact of him simply going against opposition that are suited to his play style. And what I would actually like to see is when he comes up against the likes of a Celtics or a team that can stop his primary mode of offense, that. He does actually have other options that he can go to. Yeah, it's an excellent point. I mean, we've talked about Siakam's lack of uh, bite, really, in the playoffs. And uh, definitely in the bubble, he was the player who really struggled most and underwhelmed most. And especially in that Celtic series, he he just couldn't lay his mark on at all. Uh, you know, it forced him to take outside shots at the start of the season. He struggled, sort of come back. And yeah, it's an excellent point. Could it just be that he's been matched up extremely well recently? Um, but you look at Siakam's game, his strengths are obviously uh, spinning, a lot of spinning, uh, the Beyblade merchant himself. Um, that doesn't work against everyone, as you said, like sturdy defenders. Um, he can occasionally shoot the three. I wouldn't trust him with more than open I wouldn't want him taking more than five shots a game uh, from outside the arc yeah I agree he's not bad at drawing fouls he gets to the line quite often and he sinks them quite often that's a strength Um, I think an underrated strength and one that hasn't been used this year and it was actually highlighted uh, by Blake Murphy of The Athletic was the Raptors lack of transition game this year so while they're forcing a lot of steals and a lot of turnovers they're very slow once they get the opposition to turn it over to actually get the ball up the court. And how many times mm. in recent scenes have we seen Lowry throw, you know, a quarterback pass to Siakam, who's already sprinting down? Doesn't seem to be the strategy anymore. So almost that's taken away an offensive weapon of his. Um, Definitely. I mean, he's still got three more if we look at, obviously, the three, the spins. Um, yesterday, he, threw a couple, he drew a couple of nice three-point plays when he actually went hard to the rim. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, good bounce pa- passes and uh, making nice cuts into the rim. But mm-hmm. no, you're right. It's definitely something to look into. But actually, it's a good uh, reason to go into this Brooklyn game, I think. It's one of the most mm-hmm. exciting games the Raptors have played this year. In my opinion, before I watched this, I was nervous because they were on a they had a two-game winning streak. Uh, they were sort of coming towards 500. And I felt this is actually a big test because Toronto mm-hmm. so far have been flat track bullies I think it's fair to say you know they've won two against Charlotte two against Orlando uh, against Miami Dallas you know the Knicks teams that are really struggling they haven't beaten they haven't beaten a big team this year I believe with the probably with the exception of maybe Indiana if you consider that so this was a big game yeah Uh, this was something that okay can Nick Nurse's boys actually turn up can they play with the big boys but Mm. they proved it right and uh, Siakam as you said just took advantage of good matchups but it was Kyle Lowry who turned around that game. And um, it was interesting. 
they say on the TS the Canadian commentary, don't poke the bear when it comes to Lowry, because you know, you give Lowry an elbow, you you anger Kyle, he'll basically turn the game on its head. And he did, you know, with a with a plaster under his eye. They said he reminded everyone of Nelly. Um, he scored 30 points, um, six from nine from three, and uh, just completely had yeah, the best plus minus of the starters. And yeah, completely turned it on its head. More importantly, limited Kyrie to 15 points and James Harden to just 17. Kevin Durant, of course, was a very weird... I think Kevin Durant's situation in that game overshadowed the Raptors' win, in fact. Yeah. For those who didn't watch it, he didn't start the game because of COVID protocols and then went off again because of COVID protocols after playing 19 minutes. Um, Admittedly, he did have five fouls, so he wasn't going to be there for much longer anyway. But... Mm. Uh, it's 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 a strange situation, but then that and that yeah. overshadowed a little bit the the win. But it was an important win, I think. It was a statement win. Um, and just one last point on it. it: I think it was the first time Nick Nurse tried out his playoff rotation. If you look at the box score, it was a very very tight seven man rotation. Uh, Boucher and Bembry off the bench. Okay, OG would probably come in for Powell, and Powell would come off the bench, so you make that an eight man rotation. Watanabe and Johnson really didn't get too many minutes. They got 10 minutes each, Didn't only took two shots between them. So we can sort of discount them maybe from the playoffs as of now. So it looks like those eight, um, so Boucher, Bembry and Powell off the bench and then obviously OG in the starting lineup. It's looking like those eight are who he's going to go for for his playoff game. So it was very interesting to see. They all played almost 40 minutes with the exception of Aaron Baines, uh, the starters. So um, that was a good insight, I felt. That was a good really answer. good point, Kamel. And I think it's been very surprising seeing how much of an integral piece Bembry has become. He's playing pretty much consistently 25 minutes a game off the bench. And he's doing pretty much exactly what was asked of him because he's not shooting the ball much. If I'm looking at the past few games, shot three against Memphis, four against Atlanta, four against Brooklyn, um, six against Orlando. The point is that he's not being required to take uh, an extensive offensive load and he understands his role in the team and pretty much just um, shooting shots that are either layups or fast breaks, you know, just when he picks his space on the floor. So he's pretty much doing exactly what is required of him. But even then, I'm still surprised at how important a piece he has become. Of course, like you said about OG, if OG wasn't here, if he was here, sorry, um, you'd probably expect Bembry's numbers to go down to maybe 15 minutes a game. But it's nice to see that with OG's absence, that he is taking up uh, that mantle in the shooting forward position. Yeah, we talked about him at the start of the season as really underwhelming acquisition. I believe it was from the Atlanta Hawks. But yeah. like Stanley Johnson, he's really, really improved in Nick Nurse's system. So good work, of course, from Bobby Webster and Masai Jury. Bobby Webster, of course... Uh, the Raptors GM and he just signed a multi-year extension a few days ago which is important for the future Um, let's move straight on actually to trade season I know the trade deadline is March 25th it's still a long long time away but there are two important potential trades well one important potential trade and one actual trade that went through that are definitely worth discussing Um, let's start with the Raptors first there's heavy rumors that Kyle Lowry will be making his way to the Miami Heat. This, I guess, off the bat, would 
give Lowry the chance to compete once again. Uh, it would show that the Raptors aren't necessarily... I mean, even if the Raptors do make the playoffs this year, there's less than a 1% chance of them going any further than the Eastern Conference Finals. If that. I mean, that would be a miracle, the Eastern Conference Finals at this stage. So it'd give Lowry a chance to compete. Um, he's obviously good friends with Jimmy Butler. Um, he will probably fit in well to Spolstra's system. Um but do, do you see an upside to this? Do you see any truth in this, um, apart from giving Lowry his due after all the years he served? That sneeze, Kamel. Um, come back to me. <laughs> yep, no problem. Well, um, I mean, the it would be interesting what the actual trade would be. I mean, would someone like Tyler Harrow come back, for example? Of course, Lowry is no, a free no. end of the season. So no. there, it would maybe be a couple of picks at the maximum. Um, no, I'm, so I've seen that Kendrick Nunn has been involved in the rumours because if you think about it, one of Goran Dragic or Kendrick Nunn has to be part of this because otherwise you have three legitimate point guards on the team and I, I, it wouldn't make sense with the roster. So um, Kendrick Nunn has been part of these rumours, which I'm very, very displeased about. It'd be great for us. But in terms of from Miami's perspective, why on earth would you do that? Kendrick has he wasn't given much of an opportunity at the start of the season. But um, I, I talked about the fact that was it Vincent Gabe was starting instead of him. I just thought that was bizarre given his performance in the previous season. But he shot the more ball even more efficiently than he did last season. I think at the moment he's at a forty-eight percent field goal percentage, which is spectacular, honestly, for point guards, especially for somebody like him who's slightly more undersized as well and who does shoot uh, more three-pointers as well so um, I think he's had an exceptional season given his circumstances and Miami Heat circumstances so I honestly don't think it's a trade that makes sense for the Heat I don't think that's what would put them over the edge and to give away this young piece when it seems like this the future construction of this roster this youth the depth and youth that they have on this team being their main strength at the moment i just don't like it from the heat perspective i would be delighted as a raptors fan for this to happen not because of anything from larry's perspective he's a great player but he is 34 and we're not going to win a championship this season so to get picks and young talent would be fantastic for us i think yeah i mean as i said he's a free agent at the end of the season anyway so it, it sort of begs the question why he would go to a team which is four places beneath the Raptors. I know I know they've had injuries, but right. they aren't looking like the heat of last season, especially. Um, so so it so it'd be confusing in that sense. And I guess from the Raptors Raptors perspective, maybe they just want to get something for him before mm. he, you know, is there any point playing him? Is there any point chasing up? maybe five, ten extra wins because you've got in the, in the team against yeah. developing someone like Malachi Flynn. I mean, ideally, the Raptors would be competing this season. Lowry and Van Vliet would have another full season together, mentoring, mm. allowing Fla- uh, Flynn to develop as a point guard because mm. from what we've seen, he's not ready. He's not even cracking the rotation anymore. Mm. Um, but maybe they're just trying to get what they can for him. I mean, it's, it's just rumours at the minute and um, I believe the sources aren't the most reliable um, not to libel the original reporter who put this out um, but 
as you say, it's a trade think. that doesn't make the most sense. And it almost Proper. seems like a forced trade, as it were. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I don't understand if it was Philly. Philly are 17 and 7. They're looking like they're the, they're the team to beat in the East. They need a point guard. And um, Lowry would fit in extremely well. And of course, he'd be going home. And uh, I think that's that's the, that would be a, that would be a good move for him. But the Heat, probably not. Probably not. No. Uh, no. Another confusing point guard move was Derek Rose <laughs> going back to the Knicks. The Knicks, of course, actually doing okay this season. Uh, 11 and 14, just behind the Raptors. Better than okay. I, I think they'd be spectacularly given what I thought they'd achieve. I thought 11 wins was what they'd be at the end of the season. I think they've been, wow, like Julius Randle. Yeah, he's been a monster. Well, how do you think he'll link up with Derek Rose? Do you think Mr. Rose will have a great uh, role to play on the team? I mean, obviously, there's been some concern with Emmanuel Quickly's development. Maybe that will stunt it. Or, right. I mean, why, why do you think both teams have done this? I think you could ignore why the Pistons have done this because no one knows why the Pistons do anything anymore. All their trades seem illogical and confusing. But why would the Knicks front office, which admittedly has improved over the last couple of seasons, why would they bring back Derek Rose? Um, Kamel, I think just to put a bit of the backstory into place here before we discuss um, the makings of this trade as well, I think talking about Dennis Smith Jr.'s position and his situation, his statement last week, when Kamel let me know before this podcast started that this trade happened, and I was in disbelief because of the news I heard about Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, Kamel can enlighten us now of what I'm talking about here. Uh, yeah, so Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, said last week that he wants to play in the G League and he doesn't feel that he's ready for to crack really an NBA rotation at the Knicks. Um, he's obviously was very hyped out of college. He was a mm. good, good prospect. He didn't, it didn't make, it didn't happen for him at Dallas, and uh, he sort of got traded to the Knicks under the radar. He's part of a quite a stacked point guard rotation, which includes the likes of Peyton and Quickly. So he's not not getting any minutes at, at New York at the minute. Mm. Um, but Detroit have hinted or have really said that they will give him a chance of course Detroit don't well the only option for Detroit is to develop the youth talent at the minute um you know the likes of um Dillon Wright of course former Raptor who's now playing extremely well under Dwayne Casey once again Mm -hmm. um and yeah Dennis Smith Jr I guess his chance would be to support him just to fill that Derek Rose shaped hole and I suppose no one knew why Derek Rose was on the Pistons in the first place especially with what the franchise was hoping to do I mean maybe he was there to mentor Delon but apart from that it's not much reason to keep the former MVP there um, so yeah. yeah that's that's the full update on, on Dennis Smith so you were yeah Camille they've traded so both these guys in the last year of their contract but essentially so the trade was actually for not just Dennis Smith but, but for Dennis Smith and a second rounder right so they've traded away a 32-year-old for a 22-year-old. Uh, so which way around am I talking about this? Yeah, in terms of the Knicks, I, what are the Knicks doing? The only thing that I can make sense in my head is that this is purely a market move in terms of, you know, the sale of jerseys and like the commotion that this is going to bring. Oh, Derek Rose back in New York after his previous stint there, but. Aside from that, this trade makes absolutely no sense for them, despite how much Dennis Smith has been struggling, unless they've got ideas of signing 
Derek Rose in the offseason, but I thought part of the Knicks idea was that, um, you know, they wanted to um, either, th- was it this year or next year? They That's when all the contracts, their two, three-year contracts that they gave to all those power forwards, they're going to come off the books and then they're probably going to go for more free agents. So that it's unlikely that they'll sign Derek Rose in the offseason. So why are they traded away young talent for a guy who probably only going to be in the league for like one or two more years i think it's only a business move surely yeah i mean apart from the front office and the coaches concluding that dennis smith is actually a bust um yeah you forget the market power that derrick rose has i mean he's still on the top 10 list of the all-star voting at the minute um and i think that's been every year yeah he came eighth in the first batch of all-star voting in terms of eastern guards People are still voting. He's got a huge reach out there. Um, I know he's very popular in East Asia in particular. Um, Extremely popular out there. Um, So, I mean, it could could just well be a market move in the middle of a pandemic where uh, teams are are struggling financially. But who knows? Who knows? It's it's, it's an odd one. And we'll see what kind of role, what kind of minutes Rose does play at the Knicks. Um, But yeah, I guess with anything, it's nice to see him back home. Where, yeah, where, exactly. Where, where, uh, you, it could just be. It could just be down to that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, apart from it, just a quick NBA update. It is it is one third of the season the way through? So uh, we'll do a very very quick uh, rundown of the um, standings. Yeah, maybe yeah, shaping st- up to how we thought of the start of the season as well. Because I think the Jazz is even. They will talk about them in a future episode, but they've outstripped even my expectations for them not just to be at the top of the conference, but to be 19-5, and five, given with how inconsistent other teams have looked this season, is uh, quite frankly spectacular. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if we look over to the West, um, I don't think any of us predicted the Jazz. I mean, I predicted the Jazz to come ninth. Now that I look at my predictions, you were Ridiculous. I battered you for that, Kamel. I said, if they're not in the top four or five, I said, you're, you're doing something wrong there, Kamel. Um, even last year, Camille, I mean, uh, against the Nuggets, it was such a close seven-game series and the Nuggets looked like a proper team. So I thought, you know, the only reason the Jazz for me last year, last year I had the Jazz in my top three of my predictions. I thought that starting five was just incredible. Yeah. Unfortunately, players like Conley didn't contribute as much, but this year, like, it's not that surprising to me that they're first. Like, they, again, they're stacked in every position and Conley doesn't look like he's back to his Grizzlies days but he looks like you know he's now a very good point guard for the team so I think this team at this point I'll say Kamel maybe it's a bit again controversial but they're a serious serious um, contender against the Lakers I think if they were to play them and say the conference finals I wouldn't say it's a cert for the Lakers to get past them for certain yep can't argue with that I can't argue with that. I mean, um, it is a third of the way through the season. It's 90, I know it's 19-5 and five record. They're looking strong. But let's just relax with it. Let's just calm down. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's wait for halfway, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up one other surprise was the Sacramento Kings, who sit in seventh. Uh, Darren Fox is absolutely balling. I mean, um, I mean, I know you say that, but no, I don't think anyone expected them to be over 500 at this point. Um and, and, and two of those losses were actually to the Raptors, interestingly enough. But they have mm-hmm. been playing extremely well, especially especially for... And Halliburton is making a big run for Rookie of the Year. So yeah, 100%. That's also 100%. something to keep an eye on. But Kamel, 
I, I was of the opinion last year that they underachieved massively. I, I had them being around the seven or eight seed last year, but um, this year, despite Buddy Hill still not performing how he was, you know, two years ago, you know, when he was scoring 20 points a game, shooting 40% from three. Yeah, like you said, people like Halliburton, like the rest of the team has been, uh, has made up for his lack of contribution. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the West though, Kamel, I think the last thing maybe to mention is just how ridiculous some of these runs have been this year. We've had a few teams go on seven or eight win streak runs, one of those being the Jazz, um, one of those being the Clippers, but it's been so incredibly inconsistent. I think the team more than any other is the Nets, where we've seen them look like either world beaters or then they end up losing like three or four in a row. So um, I think this season, Kamel, it's been even stranger than the bubble was last season. Yeah, uh, I mean, just just look at the table. You, ex- you would have expected it to settle into its natural formation by now. But no, even in the East, we've got the Hornets at sixth. We have uh, in the West, we have the Mavericks who we both tipped for good finishes at, at 11th in the West. So you're right, it's a 13, very... Well, I have them. You had them at... As in, oh, what well, I've got them as. So David F. Yes, 13. the 13th, even worse than what I thought. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's, it's a crazy, crazy season. I think that once a team, and, and you say like the Jazz or the Bucks or the Fit or Philly, go on a five, six, seven game winning streak, that'll be enough to really separate them from the rest of the league so it's, it's just looking at that it's just it's a team of it, it, it the whole league is inconsistent and whoever gains an ounce of that consistency will will gain the upper seeds so um yeah it's an interesting that's that's one third of the season that's i guess is our review so far raptors not looking too bad it's looking better it's up and down i know it's not what we wanted 24 games ago but if you ask me 10 games ago I would have taken this. So, hundred percent. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll be back next week, and it's a it's a busy week for the Raptors. They have five games in seven days. Uh, we're in the midst of that uh, little road trip at the moment. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back probably at the weekend uh, to give you more Toronto news, more Toronto features. And if you if you do want a request a feature, I know our Utah Watanabe episode was extremely popular. Actually, one of our most listened to episodes um, in recent times. Um, if you want to feature, say, on Bembry, on OG, on anyone like that, do make sure message us on our Facebook, Balling in the Six, or tweet us at Balling in the Six as well. The DMs are open there. Uh, but otherwise, I'll see you next time. See everyone next week. <laughs>